Good morning. Good to see you guys here. I'm excited to share the word with you and some fellowship afterwards. So let me begin by introducing our title this morning, What is Truth? What is Truth? When Jesus was being publicly tried, the person conducting the public trial, Pontius Pilate, asked him this question, what is truth? He asked this question not out of sincerity or genuine curiosity, but with disdain and contempt, a kind of flippancy, because Jesus had previously said, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. To the what? To the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Church, I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you believe that Jesus came to bear witness to the truth? And if you believe that Jesus came to bear witness to the truth, I have another question for you. For you, Would you consider yourself one of those who listens to his voice? Truth is a common idea throughout the Bible, and it's important to the apostle John too. The word truth in the Greek, aletheia, occurs nine times in the epistle of 1 John. A few of those times happen in 1 John chapter 1, the very chapter that we've been studying for the past few weeks now. By looking at these verses and what John says in 1 John chapter 1, there are a few things that we can learn, and I want to talk to you about those things this morning. Now, my secretaries are very adamant that I get the outline to them by noon Friday. And if I don't, they give me a harassment. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, I have gotten behind the eight ball like every week now. So you have two points on your outline, but that's Patty's fault. <laughs> I wasn't ready yet. Those two points you're going to get, but you get a bonus point this morning, which is the first I'm going to share with you. So just go ahead and write it in there because I wasn't ready this week. I was running a little behind, and the first point that I want to share with you out of the three is this. Truth affects thought. Truth affects thought. Say that with me. Truth affects thought. The way that John begins his letter is plain and simple, and I want to start there this morning. So if you'll rewind just a little bit with me to 1 John chapter 1, you'll see it says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. I want to start there this morning with those introductory remarks, and John says that he heard, he saw, and he touched the Lord with his ears, his eyes, and his hands. Amen. Amen. Without saying it word for word, what John is telling you and me as his audience is this, the incarnation is the truth because it was empirically verified. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, God the Son becoming flesh, is the truth, John is saying in so many words, because it was empirically verified. Church, there is an empirical aspect to truth. In other words, 
Truth is verifiable. You can see it, you can hear it, you can taste it, you can smell it, you can touch it. Christianity isn't a made-up religion among the thousands of made-up religions that are scattered among the landscapes of history. No, it bases what it teaches regarding God and miracles, the supernatural, on what is natural and verifiable, on facts, historical data, and evidence. That's what John is saying here. How do we know that God's Son became flesh and dwelt among us? How do we know that it is true that Jesus was who he said he was as he was performing these miracles? Because we saw him, we heard him, and we touched him. Now, not everyone believes this. For example, the Latter-day Saints who have no evidence for their so-called book, the Book of Mormon, have no evidence for it. They have no evidence for their history. They have no evidence for their theology. Unlike we do, Christians, the evidence for the word of God and the verifiability of the documents. Unlike religions that point followers to some goal or in some direction in general, regardless of whether or not the guru himself or herself follows it, we have Jesus, who didn't say, go that way, but... I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You see the exclusivity in that statement? There isn't this wishy-washy, do whatever you feel like is the most important thing to you, but rather, I am the way. And if you would find the way to the Father, you must come by me. I am the truth, and if you would not live in error, you must live according to me. And I am the life. If you would have eternal life, it must be according to me and no other way. When Paul was preaching to a government official toward the end of his ministry about the trustworthiness and truthfulness of Christ and Christianity, the Apostle Paul said this, and I quote, it's going to come up here, The king knows about these things. He's talking about the things that happened when Christ was here performing miracles, etc. You know, O king, about these things, and to him I speak boldly because I am persuaded that none of these things escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Paul is saying that those things that are empirically verifiable in Christianity were not done in secret in some hills in Tibet. They were done in public, in front of everyone, so that the verifiability is undeniable when it comes to Christianity. If you choose to deny that Jesus is the truth, that is your choice. But you cannot do it on the grounds of historical data. Why does John begin his epistle with empirical references? In part because the Bible never asks Christians, get this, church, the Bible never asks Christians to suspend their mental faculties. God expects you and me to use our brains. There's nothing attractive about an ignorant Christian. God expects us to use our minds. He expects us to think. He expects us to meditate on his word. He expects us to contemplate the great things of God. Frankly, sometimes I think we're losing this fight. 
Atheism, for example, used to be called atheism, and it was a general reference to people who might say to you, well, you believe that, but I don't believe in God. Atheism is a compound word in the Greek. Theos means Greek, uh, excuse me, theos means God. And whenever the letter A precedes a word as a prefix, it negates the word. So theos means God. Atheos means no God. So atheist is someone who does not believe that there is a God. And I think all of us can testify to those conversations that we've had with people where they say, well, I just don't believe what you believe. I don't believe in God. But we've come to a time now that's different. In fact, it's so different that philosophers have stopped calling atheism atheism, and they've started calling it modern atheism. It's spearheaded by men like Richard Dawkins and the late Christopher Hitchens. These men aren't just atheists. They're belligerent atheists against Christianity. They want to make us look stupid. They want to make us look unreliable. They want to make us look like we're believing in unicorns and rainbows and lollipops when we say we believe in Jesus. It's their goal to argue against the Lord and disprove the faith. It is their life mission. And of course, we have the effects of postmodernism. Postmodernism has led generations of people to what we call now moral relativism. It's a result of that philosophy. Moral relativism rejects objective truth and objective morality. And it says instead that every belief is relative to culture or society. So in other words, what might be true in one culture is not true in another. Or what might have been true in Leviticus is no longer true today. Church, what I want to make you aware of is this fact. Truth affects your thought. Truth affects your thought. Christianity wasn't conjured up in a Bible, in a bottle by some religious people sitting in a laboratory. Christianity isn't the result of God's, excuse me, Christianity is the result of God's plan as he was involved in history to send his son to live a perfect life and offer himself as the perfect sacrifice for sinners like you and me and his life and his death and his resurrection have been provided for verifiably in historical documents and a movement that has changed the world. Truth affects thought. But secondly, truth also affects life. Truth also affects life. We see this in, in verse 6 primarily of 1 John chapter 1. If you'll look at it with your eyes, truth affects our lives. It says in verse 6, conditional clause, if, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice what? The truth. Interestingly enough, he doesn't say truth. He doesn't say a truth. He doesn't say if you say you have fellowship with God but walk in darkness, you aren't practicing your truth. And he doesn't say that if you say you have fellowship with God yet walk in darkness, you're not practicing my truth. 
You need to hear this. John says, the apostle, one of the men who was responsible for the foundation of the church, says, if you say you have fellowship with God, but walk in darkness, you're lying and you're not practicing what? The truth. The truth. If we lie and do not practice the truth, if we walk in darkness, then we can infer from this verse that if we really did know the truth, we wouldn't walk in darkness. Because to know the truth is to walk in the light. In other words, the apostle is poetically saying that knowing the truth affects your life. Church, the truth affects our life. How we see it, how we value it, and yes, how we live it. We have become tolerant of a sort of half-hearted view of Christianity. And this is because some of the people who are trying to get into my second point still have one foot in the first. The truth has not affected your thought yet. You are allowing the truth to affect your thought to a degree, but you are refusing to relinquish another degree to the truth. Think about it. How many people do we know who say things like this? I can believe without corporate worship. I don't need to go to church. I can believe without financially supporting the church that spiritually feeds me. I can believe without holiness. I can believe without service. I can believe without spiritual maturity. I can believe without study. I can believe without fasting. I can believe without praying. I can believe without forgiving others. I can believe without love. I'm not sure who told you that, but they were lying. Because my Bible says that you cannot walk in darkness and say you have fellowship with God. If you have fellowship with God, you're not walking in darkness. Now, over the past couple of weeks, a few of you have come up to me after the service and said, yeah, that hurt, or that was a gut check. And I think you know that as quickly as I will preach a convicting message, so I will give you a hug. But you need to hear God's word, and I need to hear God's word. And what God's word is telling us is this, there is no neutral ground. You must decide today whom you will serve. You cannot have God for your convenience and your personal preferences on the side because you cannot have fellowship with God and walk in the darkness. There is no gray here. There is light and there is darkness. You are with God or you are not with God. Jesus said you either gather with me or you scatter abroad. There is no neutral ground. Mom, dad, young people, you need to hear me. You've got to make a decision about how you will lead your life, and it is not based upon your preference or your convenience. It is based upon the truth, 
And the truth doesn't care about your convenience or your comfort. The truth is an issue of character, not convenience. You hear what I'm saying? How many of us, as I rattled off that list of half-hearted convictions, said, ooh, that sounds like that might be me. How many of us negotiate with God throughout our week so that we can still get the things that we like while we get a little bit of glow from the light we refuse to walk in? Church, when we look at people who live their lives like this, what we're left with isn't actually Christianity. Instead, it's some form of man-made Christianity where, like a religious buffet, people pick out what they want and they leave the rest for somebody else to pick up. Is that the Christianity that we see in the Scriptures? We are living in a time when People want Christ's comforts without his commands. They want his rewards without his rules. They want his salvation without his sanctification. And you don't get one without the other. Because that isn't truth. You know how I know? Because John says truth affects life. If we say we have fellowship with him, but we're walking in darkness, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth, which says if we were practicing the truth, we'd be walking in the light instead of the dark. Truth affects life. Alex, you perfect? Thank you, brother. Chris, you perfect? Ashley, you perfect? It's not about perfection. It's about the conviction that says, even when I fall, I get up, so I will live in the light with my Lord. We are not earning our standing. Look at what the scripture says again. It says in verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we're lying. And we're not practicing the truth. Verse seven, but... If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And get this, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know what that phrase means, the blood of Jesus. Where was, where was it that Jesus shed his blood? Help me out. On the cross. You see, forgiveness and fellowship with the Lord is achieved through what Jesus did on the cross for sinners like us. But if we're walking in the darkness while we say we're Christians, uh, that's not how it works. But to walk in the light, forgiven, because you have placed your faith in the blood of the only Son who was sacrificed for you and me on the cross, it's not about perfection, it's about forgiveness. But nevertheless, family, ever since I met Jesus, ever since I had my eyes opened to him and to the truth, I can't imagine my life in the dark. I can't imagine living my life outside of a moment-to-moment, day-to-day thought of Jesus. 
You, Chris? You? We got a lot. Well, you too, Waylon. Could you imagine living without Jesus in your mind all day, every day? How could we testify to being Christians? We go, oh, yeah, I forgot to think about Jesus today. Nobody ever has to tell me, Pastor, have you thought about Jesus? Because even if I wasn't a pastor, I can't stop thinking about my Savior. It is by the cross and by the blood that I know the truth and walk in the light. I don't walk perfectly. I got a limp. Sometimes I got a drag. Sometimes I got to crawl, but Lord Jesus, keep me in the light. I didn't find the light. He shined that light on me. There is no flashlight guru. That's fake religion. We're talking about a transformation that is made in you and me by faith in Jesus through God the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, I walk with a limp. I'm not perfect. I drag. Sometimes I fuss and do things that I'm not supposed to do. But here's the difference between sinners and me. I don't like it. I don't revel in it. I don't celebrate it. In fact, the truth tells me that if I believe it, I better stay in the light. Lastly, verse 8, truth affects belief. Truth affects your thoughts. Truth affects your life. And finally, truth affects your belief. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road, church. This is where the rubber meets the road because it isn't about what you can articulate. It isn't about what you can confess. It's about your faith and your works lining up together, right? James says in chapter 2 of James, oh, you speak to me of your faith, but I will show you my faith by my works Show me, don't tell me. Truth affects belief. So in our last point, verse 8, it says, if we confess our sins, uh, sorry, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and what? The truth, right? It's not just my truth, your truth, somebody's truth. It's the truth. If we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, here's another truth statement. We make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. So our last point this morning, church, is this. Truth affects belief. What I mean by this is while God reaches many different people in many different ways. Amen? Everybody's got a different testimony, and I love the fact, you know, Peter says in, in, second, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 10, verse 4, he says, he says that we have been gifted by the multicolored grace of God. Isn't that beautiful? God's grace is sufficient for anyone and everyone, regardless of their history, their socioeconomic standing, their culture, their ethnicity, it's not, re- it's not relevant. God's grace is sufficient for everyone. I love the fact that God reaches many different people in many different ways, and we praise his name for reaching the lost at all. Generally speaking, we shouldn't back into rational Christianity, though, through our feelings. 
We shouldn't back into rational Christianity through our feelings. Instead, hear me out, the head should inform the heart. Let me say this again. The head should inform the heart. Now, we can't deny our experiences, right? But our experiences shouldn't be the barometer for our belief. Instead, our heads should inform our hearts and not the other way around. Recently, uh, Sarah was having a conversation with someone, and they were having a discussion over Christianity. And this person says, well, I know, I just, and I have experienced this. And Sarah said, but that's not what the Bible says. See, those are two different philosophies. You don't bring your experience to the Bible and say, submit to my experience. You bring your experience to the Bible, and you ask your experiences to submit to the authority of the Word of God. Not the other way around. But we have a culture within Christianity right now that says, it doesn't matter what the Bible says, you can't deny me my experience. Listen, your experience doesn't carry authority. The Word of God does. And we've all had a lot of different experiences. And some of the best feelings or experiences that we have had have been in the dark. This is why Paul says, walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. But you and I, we have to submit our beliefs to truth. Why is this so important? Well, look at what Romans chapter 1, verse 21 says. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 says, although they, people in history, although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Did you get that? They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Here's another verse, Ephesians chapter four, verse 18. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 18, it says, they, unbelievers, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Church, we like to say things like, I believe most people are good. That's the most unbiblical statement you've ever heard. We like to say things like, I, I want to have, Pia asked me this question about a family member this Wednesday when we were doing our Q&A during Bible study. What can I say to someone who asked me questions like this? And we can do our best to present answers to questions that are there, and God can use them. But church, say amen if you're listening. Only God can change a heart. That's what Paul is saying here in Romans and Ephesians. He's saying their minds are dark and their hearts are ignorant. He's not saying, if, if, you give them, if you give them just enough, they can fight their way to, to grace and then believe and then God will save them. That's not the way it works. You believe because God saves you. You cannot believe outside of the work of God in your life. This is what we call regeneration. Jesus says to Nicodemus, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. That's the word, regeneration, made new again. If you're not made new, you will not believe. Why not? Because your heart is ignorant and your thinking is futile and your mind is dark. That's what the word of God says. Now you can say, well, I disagree with that. And you're, you're entitled to do that. 
If you're not a Christian and you say that, I'm not surprised by your position. If you are a Christian and you say that, I'm ashamed of your position. I am not uploading my philosophy to you. I am quoting the authoritative word of God here. We are nothing, and our beliefs are nothing outside of the truth of God. And when we are impacted by the truth of God, truth affects our belief. Amen? What I used to believe, I don't believe anymore. Man, did I have some weird beliefs. Some of you, some, some of you know some of these people, right? Right? Last night, an alien landed on their house, and it was hovering around their house, and, 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 and they, had a, they had a dream, and so they're wondering if, if like maybe they're reincarnation because they lived during the time of Jesus, and, and, and they're wondering if, if, if somebody put like a sort of spell on them, so they're wearing bracelets now with saints. You laugh because you know. They believe all that. They believe all that, but not Jesus. Oh, please. Oh, please. This is what I'm talking about. And we walk around like we're ashamed and afraid. And they're believing in things that are absolutely ludicrous and cannot be verified. And we know historically who Jesus was and what he did and the impact that he made. And they won't believe him, but they'll believe in the unicorn. I'm not supposed to say things like this, but that's just stupid. That's just dumb. You're entitled, thank you, Tim. You're, you're entitled to believe whatever you want to believe. No one who sits in our church, First Baptist Church of Color is greatest church in South Florida. No one who sits in here is held on the floor until they say, oh, tell me about Jesus. I'm terribly interested. <laughs> We're not forcing Jesus on you, but this much we will tell you. It is intolerable to believe in the Jesus you make up. Only this Jesus is the true Jesus. And if we believe that, guys, the truth affects our belief. You see, we live according to our belief, don't we? Even if our life demonstrates something other than what we say we believe, we will only ever live according to our belief. So if we do something that we know is wrong, quote unquote, know is wrong, but we do it anyway because we have pretty high confidence in the fact that we won't get caught, we don't really believe it's wrong. We only believe that consequences dictate the course of action. There's a lot of people, husbands and wives, that misbehave outside the covenant of their marriage because they really don't believe that that's wrong. They don't believe that flirtation is wrong. They only believe it's wrong if their spouse finds out. There's a lot of people who come to church, but then let their kids decide whatever their kids want to decide. Because, well, we can't have them sold out for Jesus. God forbid. And we can't figure out why after college they're not in church.
if we don't believe sin is too serious, we're going to nonchalantly sin and find it permissible in others. If we believe that God is a comfortable, non-judgmental figure in heaven, we're going to become relaxed about our Christian discipline. But on the other hand, church, if we believe that God is mean and harsh and merciless, we may feel crushed at all times and treat people that way. What you and I need to walk away with, and we read the scriptures, is this. God is our holy father. He's holy. He's transcendent, high and lifted up. And we must honor him and venerate him and worship him as so. But he's not only holy, he's also our father. And we've got to love him and receive that love and that gentleness and mercy. But sometimes we lean towards father and we forget that he's holy. And sometimes we lean towards holy and we make God unapproachable. And that isn't our God. Amen? We see this constantly. Namely, that truth affects our belief. Rajneesh, an Indian mystic and cult leader, says this, if you have found your truth within yourself, there is nothing else in the whole existence for you to find. One of Oprah Winfrey's favorites, don't ever watch Oprah Winfrey. One of Oprah Winfrey's favorites is a new guy named Mastin Kip. He says, the answers you seek are within you. The truth of your soul is a whisper. What does that even mean? (laughs) This is rubbish. This is garbage in the face of biblical revelation. If you think that you can watch an hour of Oprah or listen to this garbage and not combat it with two hours on your face in prayer in front of the authoritative word of God and not be affected, Lord, honestly, In view of this, we have the word of God, which I think I have some scriptures here, do I? Yes, perfect. Write these down. Psalm chapter 18, verse 30. The word of the Lord proves, what's the word? True. We never hear anything about this, the truth is in you nonsense. When the Bible talks about what's in you, it talks about sin, darkness, futility, and death. Now, if you have a different theology, if you disagree with me, again, you're entitled, but you don't find that there. Psalm 18, verse 30, the Lord, the word of the Lord, excuse me, proves true. Secondly, Psalm 119, verse 160, the sum of his word is truth. Look, you you getting this? A lot of truth here, right? It's not not giving us allowances for truth over here, truth over there, truth, no, no. Where is truth in God's word? Psalm, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 45, 19. In the prophet Isaiah, God says, I, the Lord, speak truth, and I declare what is right. And all the millennials say, well, what's right for you? But maybe that's not like what's right for me. That was a little insulting, wasn't it? We have a lot of millennials here. That was not right. I should take that. I retract my former statement. (laughs) 
I, the Lord, speak truth. I declare what is right. It's not up for, it's not up for discussion. There were no ballots sent out. There are no committees convened. God declares what is right and true. You don't like it, you have to deal with that. It's not a negotiation. uh, John 14, verse 16, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I'm not a truth, I'm not an option. I'm not a selection among many. It's not Jesus and Buddha, Jesus and Mary, Jesus and whatever. It's just Jesus. John chapter 16, verse 13. John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he calls God the Holy Spirit, spirit of truth. When God the Holy Spirit comes, the spirit of truth, what does he say? He will guide you in however you feel that day. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in the way of your ancestors. What does the spirit of truth do? He leads in what? In truth. He leads in truth. And if the spirit of God leads in truth, and Psalm 18 says that the word of the Lord is the truth, that means that the spirit of God does not lead in contradiction to the word of God. The Spirit of God does not lead in contradiction to the Word of God. If you want to know what God thinks, read the Word. If you want to know what God's will for your life is, read the Word. I'm not saying God doesn't lead through circumstances and and other Christians who sometimes pray for us and convict us and speak the Word of the Lord to us. Absolutely. But the primary means by which you and I know the truth is by reading the Word of truth which is his word. To close church, let me say this. When we come into contact with the truth, there are a few things that are unavoidable. Truth affects our thought. Truth affects the way we live. And truth affects our beliefs. If we say we believe biblically, but we do not live biblically, we have a contradiction taking place. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not a Christian, but it does mean that you and I need to do what Paul says to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 when he says, let every man examine himself to see if he's really in the faith. Now, don't, don't test yourself like crazy. You know what I mean? You know, don't, don't start tying some sort of leash around your leg and whipping your back. You know what I mean? That Jesus went through the suffering for you the righteous for the unrighteous. So whipping yourself is not going to do anything. But there's nothing wrong with you sitting down with the word of God, sitting down with a brother or sister in Christ, sitting down in the the safety of our worship environment and saying, God, soften my heart and my mind. Let me hear your word so that if there's an adjustment that needs to be made in my life to your truth, I make it. Now, if you come in here dragging knuckles with a squinty eye and a chip on your shoulder, it doesn't matter what I say, does it? All I can tell you is this. If you come in to hear God's word looking for a fight, 
you're going to lose. No one wins against God. When the white horse appears, the rider who is on it has a name. His name is Faithful and True. And he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he bows to no one. We will drop a knee, and we will confess that he is the Lord of glory. That is the truth. How will you then live your life? How will you then believe? How will you then think? That's my admonition for you today. What is truth? Truth is the word of God. And it affects our thought, our life, and our belief.